0: Peace on Drugs podcast, it's about ending prohibition. It's about talking honestly about things like addiction, overdose, drug safety. It's for people who may be suffering from addiction or people who are interested in trying psychedelics. People who want to understand more deeply the cartel problems in Mexico or the opioid regulation crisis here in the U.S. It's for people who are anti-prohibition and for people who promote sobriety and abstinence. It's for people who used to do drugs and people who still do. I used to do drugs. I still do, but I used to too. (laughs) Alright, if you're enjoying the Peace on Drugs podcast, make sure to go on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. It helps grow our listenership. Also, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Peace on Drugs podcast. Subscribe to our newsletter www.ThePeaceOnDrugs.com Today's guest is psychedelic journalist Riley Caps, who also co-founded the Denver Mushroom Cooperative. We had a great conversation about psychedelics and the laws around them and how they're changing. We talked about the importance of having a connection with nature. He shared his experience as an EMT and his thoughts on addiction. Peace, Nicks, I think you're going to enjoy this one
1: because we're a youth magazine i didn't write about drugs from the perspective of the DEA perspective of the drug companies or these new psychedelic companies i went to concerts i went to um, psychedelic club meetings i went to um, campus and i asked people how do you actually use drugs and what actually happens to you when you use them and so i learned that there are powerful drugs and, and a lot of people have changed their lives for the better and worse on opioids and stimulants and all kinds of things. People can get out of pain on opioids. They they find themselves with more stimulated on stimulants and it helps them do their school better. But nothing was as life-changing for people as what they told me about happened to them on psychedelics. America's public enemy number one in the
0: United States. Is drug drug drugs are menacing our society? Your thoughts on the drug problem?
1: I had a great time doing drugs.
0: So, tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the piece on drugs. On drugs. All right. So, so um, first, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks no for problem. doing what you do. Thanks for talking about the peace on drugs.
0: Yeah, no problem. It's, it's uh,
1: coming up, hopefully.
0: We're we're starting to see the end of the war on drugs or the beginning of the end. And hopefully it keeps going in this direction. Um, So I was just doing some research last minute um, notes this morning and I saw you posted on Twitter yesterday something about a float center in Canada that sells microdose LSD for the float.
1: Yeah, Canada's a wild place apparently, according to Twitter and um, a bunch of reports like you can Buy microdoses super easy. You can buy mushrooms in a lot of places, and yeah, man. uh, Apparently, this float center—they'll sell you the one p LSD microdoses that you can take right before you're floating.
0: I don't know if you then have to
1: float for ten hours, like, to get the full experience.
0: (laughs) I feel like at some point, if you start to get the experience, you'd want to get out of the float tank and you know experience the world. Of course, I guess a microdose, you might you might be able to make it the whole way i like yeah I, I, i've done a few floats i've never mixed it with psychedelics it's just i feel like it's psychedelic but on its own but i mean i'd be open to trying it
1: yeah i i don't think i've ever mixed it i think i've floated but i don't think i was on anything it would be really a, a cool idea because i find that like when i'm tripping i definitely want the less uh stimulus possible i like to be just in a blank under a blanket with eye shades on music I've, going. See,
0: i've never tried that i um we sit in the backyard i don't like to be around like, i'm not into the party atmosphere anymore i have mm-hmm. done it at like festivals and that's a different experience and it's also fun if you have the right music but i just like to the peace and quiet in the backyard maybe some music on playing but i do want to try the blindfold experience because you know that's the therapeutic bent like you know when they do these new these new centers right people that want to mm-hmm. quit smoking or whatever their their intention that they set for their trip it's not like all right Set your intention and then listen to music and dance. It's like now you're going to go into your into your inward, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. What's your backyard like? What's your setup there?
0: Well, I'm in Florida, so we have um, it's very green, palm trees, and all that stuff back there. I really like the uh, I like our house. I like our backyard. I, I live in Fort Myers, Florida. I'm not a big fan of. I hate to keep bashing my town, but but um, mm. it's just tourism, you know, tourism, tourism, tourism.
1: Mm. Why but, are you there?
0: For my I, I play music for a living. that's and as I um that's why I'm trying to do other things and what, eventually move away from doing the um, you know, that we play a lot of it's mostly cover stuff, like we write and stuff, but people don't want to hear that. So it's just a lot there's a lot of work down here for musicians. So Okay, and, good. Yeah.
1: Good. And in your backyard, you have a good setup, you have a nice chair, you have a good Oh, we have a
0: great we have it's great. We have a big fire pit. So every night yeah. we do fires, yes. which um we, we always talk about like, Oh, on Monday, we're going to eat some mushrooms. And, and then when Monday comes, I'm always like, Hey, I'm not really up for it. Cause you have to, you have to really be mentally prepared and then the right mindset to go into it. So it's usually like, nah, we'll just hang out by the fire. But sometimes we do. And when we do it is, it's always a great time.
1: Who do you usually do it with? My wife. And um, yeah, well, good for you, man. I think that the, that's the important thing is like, if you're doing it when you're ready for it and mm-hmm. cause these are clearly non-addictive substances
0: like you have to work up
1: you have to work up the energy to okay i'm really gonna do it this time exactly we go i'm ready
0: that's right i talked to a next police officer and he was talking to me about how addictive psychedelics are he's like well they create such euphoria that you chase that and i'm like no you don't though i was like i've done psychedelics a lot like but not you know consecutively because once i have that experience i'm good for a while and i don't want to keep going back there and i have Tried once to do it too many times in a row, and it's almost like you have a a worse experience because you're like you're not supposed to be here, and you feel it. You're like it was too soon. Like so, you you definitely spread that out. Not to say there aren't people that might abuse it. I mean, I think there's a small percentage of people that have that kind of um, compulsive mentality towards a lot of things. But for most of us, psychedelics are a a very powerful experience that we don't want to continue daily or whatever.
1: Yeah, and. I learned this when I was an EMT answering 911 calls in Boulder, Colorado, that there were certain drugs that people chased after. They needed it all the time. You know, this is, I don't want to over like paint how addictive something like opioids are, but like a lot of people come to the ambulance and they would want to have the experience all the time. You know, if you get, if you don't take opioids for a while, you get dope sick, Mm -hmm. you have this serious come down. And um, same with some other drugs, cocaine, and sort of you feel sad after you do it. And same with MDMA, that can also be an addictive substance. Same with yeah, ketamine can be an addictive substance. Really. Yeah, but mushrooms and and LSD and the other classic drugs, they seem not to um, have that effect on people. Um, so we didn't see it in the ambulance hardly ever. I don't recall anybody being on lsd or mushrooms
0: exactly. in the ambulance or 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 cannabis traditional cannabis um i don't know if you yeah. have any experience with uh synthetic cannabinoids but i know that they can actually be dangerous
1: no uh no i have never tried one have you
0: no i haven't tried them but i mean experience as an emt with somebody EMT? with somebody freaking out on them or what, no. what, year, what year were you in emt
1: i was an emt from about 2016 to about 2019
0: okay because i think they got outlawed in 2012 I think Obama outlawed the synthetic cannabis because remember they were sold in the, um, and you could go to like a, 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 head shop and buy K2. Somebody gave me some once, but I, I read the not for human consumption. And I was like, I have actual cannabis. I don't need whatever this is. I threw it away.
1: It yeah. just kind of scared me. And I'm in Colorado where they drop nuggets on the count on the, on the corner. <laughs> I love
0: Colorado. That was the best experience. We went to Glenwood Springs and yeah, just pulled out a jar. I was like, this is amazing. Like sure. And you live in Denver, right?
1: I live in Denver. So people just throw them out the side of their car window as they're passing by. People hand them out to homeless people instead of like giving them a dollar. Like there is weed. We are saturated in weed. I mean, you look in the backyards in my neighborhood, there are cannabis plants poking up over the fence in like every second or third yard.
0: That's a beautiful thing to me. I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty benign plant. I'm not going to say completely benign, but... It's compared to alcohol, for instance, it's a much better recreational drug.
1: Yeah. When I was on the ambulance, it was alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. Then some opioids, some meth. But cannabis and psychedelics just really did not show up. Very occasionally, we would pick somebody up who had gotten themselves into a paranoid state. They were scared. And we had to like take them into the hospital and have them sit there for a while. But it was yeah. extremely rare. In my like three years, maybe I did that once. And maybe one time I dealt with a guy who had hyperemesis syndrome where he couldn't stop throwing up.
0: Oh really?
1: Cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. This is a real thing, apparently. Well, no, I know it's a real thing. Um, And so we had to take him into the ER and he just sat there throwing up into a uh, emesis bag over and over again. Just being like, when is this going to end? When is this going to end? And I just had to be like, dude, it's on your cannabis. It's going to end. It'll be over in three hours. Yeah. Relax. I wish there was music here in the ER and maybe some Rick and Morty so you could chill out.
0: <laughs> now, now if, is that something that once you have that, it's like a sickness that he shouldn't, he should stay away from cannabis? Or was it just it happened to him that one time?
1: Yeah, I think, I don't, I don't know. Um, I think it's just a one-off thing.
0: Yeah. So it could happen uh, to anybody, but it probably wouldn't be a reoccurring thing.
1: That's my understanding. Yeah. Like okay. I said, in three years, I've only seen it once. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I've never had a bad ex- Well, I shouldn't say I never had a bad experience with cannabis. I've had an edible that was too strong where you just, you, you know, you have three hours to get through and you're going to get through it. It's not going to kill you, but it's going to be really intense. I, I'd rather have a mushroom chip than a, than a, a heavy edible any day. I'm I think I just yeah. have a low tolerance for edibles.
1: And I, I think like it's um, speaks to, this idea that like, I mean, there's this there's this thing going on in psychedelics right now. Dr. Carl Hart and other people where they say like all substances are equal. We should treat them all equally. Um, there's no better or worse drugs. Hamilton Morris also says this. And I have a lot of sympathy for that idea in terms of like how they're treated and by the law or how they're treated by like socially. like I don't think we should look down on people who choose to use one substance over another. I don't think we should give anybody prison for any substance or any
0: sort of well, fine not. for right. any
1: substance. Um, and at the same time, I do think that anybody who knows about these substances knows that they have different effects and they have different levels of addictiveness. And you can get into more and less trouble on certain ones.
0: I, I agree I, with that. Um, I read Dr. Callhart's book. It was really great and interesting, but I don't, I don't think I completely agree with him. And I hate to say that because he's so much more researched than me. I mean, he's a doctor to disagree with him, but I mean, the idea that we can casually do heroin, some people probably can, he's one of them, but a lot of people, especially people that are using it to escape trauma are going to be using it compulsively and it becomes very addicting because of the withdrawal and I do think it should be legal. I think they should be able to go to a doctor and get counseling with it the way they do in Switzerland. But the idea is not to get more people to use it, it's to get people safely off of it. It's more dangerous and deadly on the streets, obviously, with the fentanyl crisis. So
1: I mean, he. I think the stat from the book was that 80% of heroin users do not get addicted. And you look at that and you say, okay, great. But that also means that 20% of people do get addicted. And to me, Mm -hmm. that's a high number. Yeah. You know, if it was anything else if it was 20% of people that drive cars getting a car wreck, you'd be like that is too high of a number for me. I am not going to get into that car. That's a good point. So, I I don't know what you do with that information except you know, certainly I don't think except maybe you make laws differently in terms of different substances. And maybe you make some substances available in vending machines at the 7-Eleven. And maybe you make some substances where you have to have a sitter and maybe make, you know, I, I'm not a, a, the person that's going to make all these rules, but somebody's going to make all these rules very soon. And they are going to change very rapidly. And so I think that's one of the things that you're talking about a lot is yeah. how they are going to how they're going to change and how we're going to deal with these things going forward. Cause we can't just have them all illegal. No. and i don't think society is going to tolerate having a mall and vending machines at the Seven Eleven.
0: no we have to look at what other countries are doing i think and uh, spain has a really good model for simple just decriminalization um because then they can test they test the drugs there i can't remember the name of the group that tests there but it's um Basically, they said they on the streets there you can buy LSD, MDMA, and like something like 85% of the drugs on the streets there are pure because the, the dealers know that they're being tested. Whereas most of the drugs here are not. If you buy ecstasy here, it could contain fentanyl. If you buy LSD, a lot of it's that N bomb. So, yeah, was but, it
1: Energy Control? Is that the name of the place in Spain? Inner,
0: oh, yeah, I believe it is. Yeah. Energy Control.
1: Yeah, I love that place.
0: Yeah, they say they're one of the highest rated in the world. Um, A lot of other companies use them, send them the drugs for them to test. But I think that's a really good model. Uh, And like you said, with heroin, I don't think that'll ever be something that's sold in a vending machine or should be. I think that, uh, but I think it should be available for adults who are choosing to use it, but in a very very controlled way where they have to go to a, go to a counselor and therapist and talk about, but why they think they need it. Schizophrenics, for instance, uh, are they use it on the streets because it's a more comforting drug than this antipsychotic medicine. I think somebody is hearing voices. We shouldn't say they can't do heroin, whatever's going to make them feel better, but it should be through a doctor and a counselor and all that.
1: Totally. And it's almost like we should, we're talking about like setting up psychedelics so that you can take them with a therapist in a controlled setting. It almost seems like you should take heroin in that way.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's how they do in Switzerland. They don't. I, I'm pretty sure that they don't give you heroin to take home. You you go there, they give you your injection. You go to work and everything, and then you go back for a second one, something like that. Yeah. Um and it's, I mean, you do get to go to work, but also people function on on heroin. People that are heroin addicts can function be highly functional on. Oh yeah, uh, those drugs. For sure, eighty um,
1: percent apparently.
0: Well, yeah. Totally. And, um, and I did hear Hamilton Morris actually on one of the podcasts I was listening with him. He actually did disagree with Dr. Callhart on just one thing. He said, I don't think anybody should be taking something that they have a physical dependence to, that that's, that's an unhealthy lifestyle. And yeah. I agree with that, that we shouldn't ever have something that if you don't have, you start getting horribly sick. You know, uh,
1: I mean, it's back to my experience on the ambulance. It's just like what I saw on a daily basis was opioids put people on the floor and opioids put people I mean, literally kill people. I've seen people die, nearly die on opioids. I mean, I remember going into this uh, one house in Boulder and finding this 22-year-old-ish girl on the ground, just cold as ice. And she had wrecked her veins to the point where we couldn't find a vein to put the, the naloxone in, which is, you know, the opioid uh, reverser.
0: So you actually use an injectable naloxone.
1: Mm-hmm. And, she had so, we had to find a vein in her neck in order to get it. And because she had just used up every available vein on herself and her house was a mess. There was trash everywhere. Um, and then I, I was looking around for who this person was and I found her ID and it was a beautiful, healthy, vivacious girl, uh, in this ID photo. And it was from two years previous. It was like she had just wrecked herself in two years on heroin and and just had gone from this very uh, great looking uh, girl, not the this great looking girl, but this person that was just on the floor and may have done brain damage to herself from being knocked out from opioids. Um, and it just showed me how quick this can go down. She may have been on fentanyl. And we just saw that again and again, I picked up a guy out of this bathroom of Subway who was just had used the, the needle that they had given him for naloxone to shoot up heroin. And so he didn't have any naloxone of his own and had used up his veins. And it just happened over and over again, where I'd find these people that are so wrecked and it's it just broke your heart and it just showed you. So again, it's just like, what do you see on a daily basis? What do you, like we're not blind. Like. Yeah. We live in this world and we've all met people that do different substances and we've seen how different substances affect you. And again, alcohol was the other big thing we found all the time was people who had just wrecked themselves on alcohol, just like brain dead. Wernicke's encephalopathy where they're like fumbling around, stumbling around because they've literally just rotted their brains. That's a very unscientific way to say it, but you know, Mm um so i appreciate dr carl hart's thing i appreciate him bringing us a more equitable more even view of these things um and i don't want him to to change what he's saying at all i'm just saying like uh be aware of what things do you know water yeah. water agree. is not coca-cola you mm-hmm. know yeah salad is not a cheeseburger it's all food and none <laughs> of it should be illegal but just be aware of the
0: differences that's true and that's what it is i think we have to be just completely honest about the things that we talk about like we if we say we want heroin to be available to people that want it that that's i think that's we need that but we need to be also honest with ourselves that this is not something that just should like you said it's not a, this, heroin is different than mushrooms is different than cannabis and we got to be careful but we clearly see that prohibition is not working with these drugs because that's the reason fentanyl is here and these analogs are—they get more and more dangerous as they change the, the molecules around, because the—they uh, the, say as they add these different chlorine groups and stuff, the actual molecules get bigger, so they're harder for, to get through the blood-brain barrier, and they become more problematic in the blood. So I think that—and and, and, and I—you know I have a friend that's a fentanyl addict, and like you said, I feel like he's aging a lot faster than he should be, and um and he's constantly battling with going to the methadone clinic, but methadone doesn't really work because it doesn't give them the high they really want, so they they constantly relapse. And um, I feel like we could do better as a country. And um, I've lost friends to the opiates. People are, like a lot of people I've grown up with have uh, either died or almost died. I had a friend that was overdosing. And luckily, one of the guys that was there wasn't calling the police because they were scared about getting in trouble. They called another friend and asked what to do. The friend that they called was in California. He called the ambulance. He saved the life. The people that were there weren't going to do anything about it. And that's a problem with prohibition. People get scared about getting in legal trouble when they could be when someone's dying. So prohibition is just not working.
1: Is that what drives you to do this podcast?
0: Uh, That's yeah. That's the biggest thing is. Growing up in, um, I grew up in Gastonia, North Carolina, and I saw so many people just get wrecked on drugs. And, and I've had a lot of criticism from my podcast and people that don't want to understand what I'm talking about. They're like, drugs have ruined so many lives. How could you do this? It's like, well, I'm doing this because of that, because prohibition is the one of the reasons that they're ruining people's lives. People have to do drugs in the dark and going to, you know, buying stuff on the streets. You don't know what you're getting. You're also paying a lot more money than a worth. So you have to figure out how to get that money. That's where the crime rates go up. And, um, and I mean, addicts die because they're doing it, you know, alone or hiding when they do it. And and I I feel like we could do better.
1: And being a musician, you must see it all the time.
0: I did when I was younger. Um, I see alcoholism a lot now. That's I mean, I'm in Florida, we're playing at bars. And it's hard for myself sometimes, you know, I go through, I, I try to, my, my rule is I try to not drink when I play because it's because they give you free drinks. Like you can drink for free and play, but if I drink at my gigs, then I'm drinking every day. So it's like, all right, no more alcohol when I play. But um, you see some musicians that are completely sober because they couldn't handle it. And then you see other ones that are still, when you see them, you can tell they're having a great time while they're playing. But it's, yeah, alcoholism is a big one.
1: Yeah. And so your, your mission is to, Get people to see these differences between drugs and also just bring it out into the open.
0: yeah, well, because well, so it's, it's weird it's weird because you know when I say peace on drugs. It's a war on drugs, but drugs is a weird term because that puts everything under one blanket, right? And it's like you said, there's so many differences. And the thing is, I also like using drugs. And I did have a Viking addiction for a while, and so I understand opiate addiction, and I'm happy that I got and I got I kicked the addiction without any rehab or anything, but it was not easy. And so I understand addiction. I don't think it's, I can't compare it to a fentanyl addict or someone who's shooting up. It's probably a lot harder. I didn't get like really physically sick. But anyway, so I understand those drugs. And then also I th- I see the positives of mushrooms and the psychedelic drugs. And I know like Dr. Carhart talks about how, how, how much he hates uh, you know, the, the psychedelic people that kind of are evangelical about psychedelics and then they condemn other drugs. But the thing is, is I've done all the drugs and I really do think psychedelics can be very positive and they shouldn't be put in the same category as drugs like heroin. I just.
1: Yeah. You know. So do you have ideas on like how laws should change or how if in your ideal world, what would it look like 10 years from now?
0: Um, I think that all drugs would be decriminalized. That's the first step. We got to just, you know, users and small time drug dealers, people, you know, all that is, is decriminalized. I think that, like I said, the heroin and those drugs should be between doctors and patients. Doctors should have the right, but not these pill mill doctors that are pushing stuff to make money. It should be done specifically because these people could actually benefit from it. And psychedelics, I honestly, because I've heard a bunch of different schools of thought. One is actually, so this actually brings me up to a question I was going to ask you about the ketamine clinics. So I'm thinking these, these ketamine clinics seem like a, a, like they're helping with addiction, depression, and... um. Mm-hmm. anxiety and stuff like that. But I, I went to a consultation and they, they said I fit the criteria because, you know, I, I have depression, some depression as a lot of people do. And they said, it's, you know, $4,000 up front. So I had to actually weigh: do I want to spend $4,000 of our savings? And I decided not to, but for a lot of people that could benefit from some of this, this stuff, like homeless people, they're not, they don't have $4,000 lying around the tent there's no way they're going to benefit from that. And they could probably benefit the most. And as I think, and I've, I don't know a lot about the ketamine stuff as much as I would do, like um, I knew about psilocybin. I, do you think that when, as the, as this law start to change with psilocybin, that it's going to look similar to the ketamine clinics where it costs a lot of money, it's very elitist? and
1: I mean, that's the big question. And I don't know the answer as, um, um, I want to say about the ketamines, clinics that they are popping up all over the place. There are, there were so few five years ago in the front range in Denver and Boulder. And now they're like so many and people are turning to it for every little, every problem, depression and anxiety and addiction. And they do seem to help. Um, a lot of people come out of them saying that they, they are um, way less depressed and the cure seem to be really temporary. People oh, yeah. seem to like fall back into their depression within weeks or months. Um, and then they have to keep going back to the ketamine clinic. Um, and ketamine is really addictive. Like a lot of people that went there for depression end up buying it on the street and using it at home. And, um, then they use it too much and get in trouble. And I know a lot of people who have gone down that road. And I think some of the people that run the ketamine clinics are using the ketamine on the side. I know that they are. Yeah. Um, because they enjoy it. It's a fun drug. And so,
0: um, so that could be annoying. A, you go there to treat your one addiction and you end up with another addiction. That's not, it's not healthy. That's that's why I think psilocybin would be a better choice. I've done them both, but I, I've done ketamine years ago. I mean, and, and so I, I just don't, I don't really, I don't have, you know, any experience recently, but with psilocybin at least it's not addictive, right? So if you go to one of these, if you went, went to a clinic that did a psilocybin ceremony or something, then what you got from it might be more beneficial.
1: Yeah, totally. So, you know, so again, so I was an EMT for two years and I learned a lot about drugs out on the street. And then I was the drugs reporter for Rooster magazine, which is an entertainment and lifestyle magazine here in Colorado and the It's a lot of fun. It's a youth magazine. And so I interviewed a ton of drug users, like hundreds of drug users, maybe thousands, and um, wrote hundreds of articles about drugs over the years. And because we're a youth magazine, I didn't write about drugs from the perspective of the DEA, perspective of the drug companies or these new psychedelic companies. I went to concerts. I went to um, psychedelic club meetings. I went to um, campus. And I asked people, how do you actually use drugs and what actually happens to you when you use them? And so I learned that there are powerful drugs and and a lot of people have changed their lives for the better and worse on opioids and stimulants and all kinds of things. People can get out of pain on opioids. They they find themselves with more stimulated on stimulants and it helps them do their school better. But nothing was as life-changing for people as what they told me about happened to them on psychedelics. I met many, many people whose whole belief systems changed. You know, they came to, they came to believe in um, all kinds of, we know that people's like life, the ways people view life and everything changes. You know, Mm -hmm. people came to believe in God. People came to believe in aliens. They thought they were living in a simulation. they came to think they were star seeds from other planets. They thought that plant trees were talking to them. They you know and they also use psychedelics to heal their bodies, to heal from headaches and and all these things. And I just didn't find that on these other drugs. And so that's why I think psychedelics are the the class of drugs that have the like potential to like change society and to change us as people because I've just seen so many people change or I've talked to so many people who have changed their fundamental being through them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and
0: so there was a, a a study done, apparently it's at the department of uh, human and health services data bank. Uh, they interviewed over like 400,000 inmates and asked if they'd ever had even one psilocybin experience. And apparently just having one psilocybin experience meant they were 18% less likely to have committed a violent crime and 27% less, li- less likely to commit a burglary. Um, and just so, just those numbers right there. And that's the study I heard from Paul Stamets. So yeah. I assume.
1: Yeah, there are, there are a bunch of studies like that. And there's ones that say that the, there's a correlation between psychedelic use and nature relatedness, the ways in which you pay attention to nature, or pay attention to trees.
0: It's correlated with, with
1: that. Yeah, it's correlated to anti-authoritarianism to some uh, degree. It's correlated with believing in metaphysical things, in a, in a, some kind of uh, higher power or something else that goes beyond the material. And if if more people have that experience and that idea, then I think it's a potential to really change the way our society lives because we live in a kind of materialist. World that is a little bit sad and depressed, and looks like people think that this is all there is—is just the body and the rocks and the money and the social media followers, and that there's nothing else. But psychedelics tell a lot of people that there is something else, that there is something bigger, deeper, more fundamental, more astounding. And that's an interesting—I mean, that's that's going to change people, I think. I agree. Um, So you were asking, like, do I think that we're going to do mushrooms in a clinic like that? I think that's Right now being hashed out. Um, I think that's the question is how will we do psychedelics in five or 10 years? And, you know.
0: Yes. And I I was reading the wording um, from one of your articles about the Denver Initiative 301, Mm -hmm. growing, using or possessing shrooms without selling them should be cops lowest law enforcement priority and the city shouldn't use resources to bust them. So this isn't really even decriminalizing. It's it's almost like a step below that, like where it's like, we're not, we're not even, we're still, they're still illegal. We're not going to say they're legal, but we're just going to stop looking. We're going to kind of turn the other way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I often say it's like almost like jaywalking or like a level below jaywalking or spitting on the sidewalk where it's still illegal to jaywalk, but nobody prosecutes you for it. And actually they are prohibited from spending money for prosecuting you on it. So there's, oh, okay. they have yeah, so they, they haven't gone after anybody in the past two years who was just growing and using them themselves. Um, so it, it is a success in that sense, and that no one is going to jail for it. Um, but it's not a success in terms of it's, it's not created very many ways for people to do them. Because it's still legal to sell them. It's illegal to like have um, clinics or it's illegal to like have a circle. So right now in Denver, you can at certain head shops. If you know the person, you can buy them under the table. Um,
0: So it's, but as you got to know them and it's it's not technically allowed, but if, if you're cool, they might be like, I know this guy.
1: Right. And um, there are, so let me tell you what's happening in Denver if you're interested. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, you can you can do that. Um, and you can, there's one uh, retreat center that's like a little bit above board, uh, not above board, not legal, but it's above like ground, but they have a website and you can come and trip in this nice house and with people who know what they're doing. Um, but there's just the one and they are very expensive. The Groups retreats start at $2,800 and private retreats start at $20,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Um, There's a few people that will guide you. Um, Two or three people that are being open uh, and have websites that say, if you bring your own mushrooms, you can sit with me and trip.
0: Like the Toby guy.
1: Toby. Oh, you read about Toby. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My buddy Toby. Yeah. So Toby pay him. I don't know what his rates are now. They used to be $200 and you could sit in his house and bring your own mushrooms and trip on him. And yeah, it was great. You know, he, he puts the good music on and he's trained by Zendo. And so he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and according to lawyers, that's legal. Like to help somebody else use their mm-hmm. mushrooms, that's like harm reduction. That's like being safe. Um, but it's not legal. Um, no, it's not legal to give them the mushrooms. Got you. And and so most people just don't know how to find mushrooms. Most people don't know how to do this. And so it's not created any sort of like big open thing. So there needs to be new laws. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so they're talking about just two weeks ago or so, a group of um, mushroom type people presented to the city council that they think it should be legal now to um, sit in community, like have group, um uh, trips and also gift mushrooms to people so not turn it into a business but you could sit around with your friends openly talk about it and give mushrooms to your friends and that could be uh, protected from local law enforcement
0: and, and then what you could do is say like your friend Toby could say it's 200 dollars for me to guide you the mushrooms are free so it's right kind of included thing
1: that's the theory, you know, I think, I don't know that the lawyers would be cool with that, but that's probably what's going to happen. I would think if the city council goes for this, but the city council wasn't really digging it. Mm -hmm. And so I would be surprised if the city council went for it. Um, what's more likely to happen, I think is, um, there's, um, talk there's, there's language filed now with the state to create the kind of retreat centers that are going to happen in Oregon with psilocybin. So they're moving along the process to put something on the Colorado ballot in 2022 in November that would legalize um, basically retreat centers or sitting or or guiding or things like that. Um, And it's actually really interesting they have included not just mushrooms in some of this language, but um, ayahuasca, iboga, um, mescaline, and all of the naturally occurring psychedelics. Not all of the naturally occurring psychedelics, but many, of several of them. I think five of them.
0: Gotcha. Iboga, is that the (laughs) ibogaine-containing plant?
1: Yep. And um, so that is on the horizon. And so um, they're working through, the community's talking to itself, like, right now about, does this make sense? Is this where we want to go? Should we decriminalize everything first? Should we try to decriminalize all drugs first? Um, it's a fascinating time. Because that would create centers and you would, you would then be able to pay people to like sit for you and they would provide the medicines and you would have safe place. Hopefully And there'd be trainings yeah. and all that kind of stuff.
0: I like that. So, I, and going back to when you asked me where I see what I like to happen in the next 10 years, I would like to also have the ability, if I do go to a music festival to be able to, buy mushrooms there and have a safe place because they have like the dance safe and stuff like that. But a lot of them have been kicked out of the festivals because they can't admit that drugs have been used because of the RAVE Act. So if we could get to a place where you were allowed to do drugs there, because that's the reason at my age that I don't like doing drugs at, a, at like a festivals, because of I don't I can't get a, I don't want to get arrested at my age. Also I feel I start getting anxiety while I'm mm-hmm. on the drugs where when mm-hmm. I was young, I just didn't care. So if it was safe and legal, I would I would love to go to a concert and you know, have a small dose, like a half eighth and enjoy, you know, a great band or a few bands.
1: Yeah. And so that's another question is like, if this thing passes and gets on the ballot, that's still not legal. And so you still could get in trouble for taking the micro dose at a concert. Mm-hmm. and does that make sense should that still be illegal
0: i don't think when... it should be i i think though i do think it, this goes back to residue from the 60s with music but once you start then it becomes a party thing and they just shut it down They're like we don't want this is not for partying this is only to be done for a therapeutic benefit kind of thing mm-hmm. and i do think that's where so actually i was going to ask you about that are um with the new age of psychedelics as it kind of gets folded into the mainstream because you know with the microdosing in silicon valley you know people are uh, using it to be more creative and productive with their code writing. So society goes thumbs up on productivity, Uh, the the curing PTSD with MDMA. This is another thing society gives a thumb up to. But do you think that what I believe the true purpose of psychedelics, which is to expand our minds and reconnect us with with the sacred and with nature, that some of this might be lost as our current like, you know, consumer culture kind of takes in the psychedelics or it possible they become like a Trojan horse where they come in and then work from the inside out?
1: That's a beautiful question. And um, the thing about this model where we have retreat centers, where you pay money to, for someone to trip with you, that's wonderful, but it takes, it doesn't create space for you and your wife to go into your backyard and do it on your own. Mm-hmm. It doesn't create space for churches, to do it as a religious thing. It doesn't create space for, for the connections that come from people using psychedelics. And if it's if it always fits into the model of like, I pay you, you heal me, we are in a transaction. We are in the capitalist thing where we're trying to make, you're trying to make money and I'm trying to get healing. We're not trying to connect. We're not trying to create anything then I think you lose a lot of what is great about these things. Um, Like you said, it's this idea of, are we going to make them a hierarchical thing where you go, you as the suffering person, go to someone who has power to get your mushrooms and they give you the mushrooms and they give you the healing. And it's like this top down thing. Mm -hmm. Or are we going to do more of a mycelial uh organic like horizontal thing where we're all kind of in it together and we're all trying to like figure out where we're going together and there's more opportunities for connection and um creating communities can we do both
0: that's what i was going to say we might want to do a a little blend of both we need to have control and you know because the problem is with it being illegal is i started psychedelics without any there was no control it was another kid that was also 16 years old hey, try LSD. And I I took it before school, knew nothing about it. It was a really horrible experience for the first two classes. Luckily, he was in the class with me and was taught because I was like, I'm just going to turn myself in. He's like, no. And so I didn't. And then the second half of the day, I loved it. That's why I think I still ended up having a positive experience. But that's that can be traumatic for some kids. And I think that 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 was
1: your first time.
0: First trip was LSD in high
1: school. How much do you think you took?
0: I honestly don't know. It was a sugar cube. So it was a liquid drop on there. But I mean, like, did it feel like a lot? Things were melting. Like, I mean, it was super intense.
1: You must have been a a pretty like mentally healthy person to like keep your wits about you at least a little bit.
0: Yeah, I I, I guess. I don't know. Well, I was used to being really high. We would always get high before class. Oh, okay. So you got some experience. Yes. But also it started weird because I remember I was sitting in first period and the girl in front of me, She, I know she had party was in the party and stuff and she had done LSD. So I was like, Hey, I just took some acid and she's like, at school. And I was like, what is that bad? She's like, I'd never do that at school. And then right then it hit me. Like I started and I was like, this is not good. This is not good. And I, you know, just luckily then the bell rang. I went to second period and my buddy that did it with me was in that class with me and he was just kind of laughing. And I think that kind of like calmed me down a little, like he's having a good time. So. That's so
1: funny because I, I grew up with dare and, you know, in dare they told me you should never do drugs because they make you dumb and they rot your brain and they make you poor and you go to jail. And I was like, well, why are you even telling me this? Like, of course I'm not going to do drugs. Like you don't tell me not to like light my foot on fire and run out right. in the middle of traffic <laughs> if these are so obviously terrible, what's the point of this class? All right. And then I was about 16 and I was in English class and my buddy was next to me. I mean, he, he's leans over to me and he says, "Yo, Ralph, I'm on LSD right now. And I'm like, what? We're in English class. This is crazy. And then he started making good comments about T.S. Eliot or whatever we were talking about. And it was I was like, this is very bizarre. Something is not right. Something is, <laughs> Somebody has lied to me somewhere. Either he didn't take LSD or Dare has told me something wrong about LSD. And that was part of what started me down the road of like, something's weird here.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. I actually started, I didn't realize it was microdosing because I'd never heard that term in high school, but I would take like a little hit of acid and cut it in four squares and take a fourth. And I remember I never had better grades in geometry. I like, it was like, yeah. I understood math on a different level.
1: It's so funny. Yeah. It's so funny. The difference between what they tell you these things are and what they are. It's and so true.
0: Also,
1: and I also think to your point, it's a similar point. It's like, now they're telling us these are antidepressants and anti anxiolytics or anxiolytics. And it's like, yeah, they kind of are, but they're kind of not.
0: Yeah. They're, they're completely different, but that's, I guess that's what our culture wants to do, right? How do we package this and sell it in a way that we can make money and, and create more product- productivity? We don't, um, you know, so it's a, oh, another so thing. Oh, go ahead.
1: I buy these studies. I mean, that they help depression, these clinical studies, I, mm-hmm. they help. I've seen it a lot. Uh, and, um, I also know that I've been to a lot of Grateful Dead shows and fish shows and the people there maybe are a little bit happier, but there's still a lot of depression and anxiety in those communities. So you can't just dump a bunch of LSD and mushrooms into the system and
0: they're going to fix things. I know that that's like the, uh. You think you hear people say all the time and it's it's a fun thought like you just go to a war torn region and then just carpet bomb it with LSD and they'd all be happy and get along. It's like in in a yeah. fantasy land that works fine but in reality that would probably make it things more complicated.
1: Yeah. I mean I still want to put LSD in the Pentagon's water supply and see what happens.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't but hurt anything.
1: Probably can't
0: hurt. No, I mean they put it in our supply right? The CIA did that on uh, MK Ultra so I mean mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so, fair play. So right before we go, last thing I'm going to say.
1: Oh, um, I got more time, by the way. If you want to do this a little bit more, I just feel like we're just getting into it.
0: Okay, yeah, we'll keep yeah. going then.
1: Okay, what were you going to say though?
0: Well, I was going to say though, um, if we want if we want to do this again sometime, um, I'd like to do it in person. I'll be in Denver in June. Oh, great! Going to a concert at Red Rocks. We're going to see Andrew Bird and Iron and Wine. So.
1: Oh, beautiful! Yeah, I just saw your. I just noticed your Red Rocks T-shirt. So.
0: Yep. <laughs> oh, dude! I would go see Iron and Wine. Yeah. All right. Yeah.
1: That's that'd be great. Let's cool. do it.
0: All right. So um, so we'll go back to the conversation. We we'll talk about um got the ketamine.
1: Oh, yeah. One. Let's see what else. Let me see what else I got. Well, yeah, I mean, we're just talking about like this thing of how are we gonna get these things. Yeah. I'm just highly interested in this idea. Um and are we gonna take them in these clinics or are we gonna take them? At concerts which is apparently where you've done it the most where most people have done it the most and yep. um i just think it's uh and, and can we do both like you said and will one squash the other will because that's like the moment i think we're at right now it's like will one squash the other
0: that if we if it gets too out of control or if they, they perceive it as being out of control they shut the whole thing down so yeah
1: saying? sure or compass gets the ability to do mushrooms through my, through a hierarchical model, through a doctor. And then it becomes very profitable for them. And then they say, they make up some excuse why, oh, we see that it has to be done that way. And then they find a way to make it so that no more laws are passed. that. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just saying like, it's not that hard to um, affect the, public's idea of what these things are because the public doesn't know very much about them and a concerted public relations campaign that said these things are necessarily you have to do them under the supervision of someone else could have very like powerful effects on on uh <clears throat> on the way policy is made and the way the laws are written and it can go in the other direction where if something like this thing in oregon where you can mushrooms with a therapist or, um, goes well, then there's really not a space for compass. There's not much of a need for compass. And so the more local model kind of crowds out compass and same here in Colorado. If we pass this thing where you can do a, a retreat center with ayahuasca, mescaline, psilocybin and eboga, where's the model f- for compass? How do they go? Why would you go to a doctor and do it through them? And it's probably going to be more expensive. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the motivations for a place like Colorado to pass these laws so that we, because there is worry from people that Compass is going to come in and try to like take things over. And so um, that's the super interesting point that we're at um, is, you know, when laws get passed, they sort of get put in stone in some ways. And it's hard to change them once once they're in the law books even if you see that something doesn't work. So there are yeah. very heated discussions right now in Denver and about, do we, do we, do we do these laws? Do we just keep going with decriminalization? Cause decrim is like steaming along toward Boulder and Colorado Springs.
0: Are they talking about all drugs like Oregon?
1: They would like to, it seems like there's not the political will to do that right now um the legislature seems not open to that and um last i heard the drug policy alliance which did it in oregon um was not sure that it would pass in colorado to decriminalize all drugs including heroin i wonder why that is because
0: it's because people need to you know if people understood that we're not talking about legalizing if they understood the difference because i heard people when oregon did that i heard just overheard people at the bar talking about did you hear what oregon did they're crazy they just want all drugs to be legal it's like you don't understand what they're just stopping arresting poor people basically is what the laws are.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was surprised that um, there are people in Colorado that don't think it would pass because it passed in Oregon with pretty healthy margins. I want to say 55% or something like that. And um, especially when it's packaged the way it was in Oregon, where it's like, we're going to decriminalize drugs and we're going to use the money for addiction treatment. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think it would pass, but I, I'm not the person that has read all the studies and done all the polling. But that is happening right now. People are polling Coloradans. People are polling polling in different states to see what can pass, and so that's exciting. Um,
0: uh, and Bal- Baltimore just did that too, right? But they did it through their DA, like it wasn't to a vote.
1: Yeah, I think it was. I think you're right. I think the DA did it. Um, and you know, it's happening city after city: Ann Arbor, Seattle you know, uh, Santa Cruz, Detroit, um, just time after time. And then if you go up to Canada, it seems like, like you started this podcast. It just seems like people are super unafraid of opening mushroom shops and like ordering microdose kits online. And that's not the way it is in America, America. We're very still afraid of the DEA because the DEA does come and bust some people sometimes.
0: Uh, and they've completely um, stayed away from cannabis, right? The DEA, or the, have they been told by the federal government just to stop busting for that?
1: Basically, yeah. I mean, I think before about 2013, there was tons of DEA busts, but after 2013, they sort of laid off it. And, and the that's... The policy? Yeah, the, the Cole memo, um, and that has kept going. Um, but like in Denver, there was one guy that was busted for growing a ton of mushrooms, by the DEA and that made everybody really scared Mm -hmm. and that shut down a lot of home grows. Oh, I want to bring up one more thing, um, that we I'm doing, I am part of a research study through CSU, Colorado state university, where we're interviewing underground psilocybin practitioners, Mm -hmm. people that do this for a living right now, just off the books. And we're asking them what they want in new laws. Um, and because I think these are important people to listen to, these are people that do it for a profession right now. And so what do they want? Um, and there's a lot of diversity about what they want. They, they somewhat um, more or less rules. I think interestingly, almost nobody wants like no regulation. Almost nobody wants just anybody to be able to do any sort of guiding. A lot of them think there should be some sort of accountability. But I think what's what's what was sort of consistent between them was they didn't want it to come from the state. They wanted it to be people like just looking after each other. They're being like kind of informal boards or, I mean, it's kind of an idealistic hippie thing, but it's also just sort of like um, the way mountain guides are, are regulated. Mountain guides are not regulated by the state. They're regulated through a private nonprofit that can tell whether you're qualified to be a mountain guide. Okay because mountain guides know whether mountain guides are good at mountain guiding and the state doesn't. Right. Um, and the similar thing maybe with psychedelic guides where guides know if other guides are good at guiding and they could sort of regulate each other. This is, um, I think it's a, it's an interesting idea. And I think it's worth exploring because I think it's um, brings that community aspect in where mm-hmm. the community is policing itself and it's not just a big monolith um taking care of people um so and the other thing they want is more flexibility in terms of like not just you take a macro dose with a guide in a retreat center but more like you could microdose you could take it and go to a concert you could Mm -hmm. um self-experiment um things like that so that study was included um, that our preliminary results from that city was was given to the to the city council and and hopefully they're going to take that into account when they are like making new laws so that was exciting and then that that just that that idea of community control is like slowly moving around and like oakland's thinking about it and some other places are thinking about it um so i just wanted to put in a word for that
0: okay cool and um so that'd be like like could do some idea like what is it the american association of psychology or whatever that is for a psychologist or psychiatrist something for that of that level where you have a group that anybody could join but they kind of decide not necessarily the laws but um how they're going to handle kind of overseeing whether you have drum circles or whatever wherever you're allowing these psychedelics to go you have people that are members of this board or whatever
1: yeah like a community board of like elders and wise people Mm -hmm. that um also allow for some flexibility so like if it turns out drum circles are cool then we allow that then if it turns out that they're too wild or whatever then reel that back um just the community decisions you know we have such a breakdown of community like our communities are just decimated they're just not the way they were 100 years ago 200 years ago 300 years ago where people yeah. knew each other and um but if I, I, in my dream of dreams, psychedelics help people to reconnect with one another and recreate community. And again, to just turn it into like where you go to a clinic, I think it loses that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I- The clinic setting, now there are places in Costa Rica that have, that I've looked into these retreat centers that aren't, they actually keep you in touch with nature, right? You go on these hikes and you do these yoga and you do meditations and then you do a peyote ceremony and then another day of hikes and then you do a mushroom ceremony. And like, so that to me sounds awesome. I mean, and they're actually affordable in that country. That same thing might cost 20,000 here, but it's like 2,500 there.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it remains to be seen. Wouldn't it be sweet if you could do that in Colorado?
0: Yes be awesome oh,
1: go up to a cabin and spend a, a week there do hike and meditation and yoga and then a mushroom journey yep oh how sweet would that be
0: would be awesome and i think and also about like the concert idea i think it could be possible that we don't allow like you don't you can't go to bonnaroo and buy mushrooms but if you have a specific card from your somebody that shows that you've done enough trips that you know how to handle yourself and conduct yourself with them and you're whoever, I don't want to say shaman, but you know, uh, there's whoever's in, uh, you know, your doctor, or whoever you go to gives you the, okay, then you're able to do mushrooms at these festivals. So it's not some young kid freaking out who's never done them.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I said, the guides that I interviewed didn't want no regulation. They didn't want no laws. You know, everyone agreed. Like if you're too young, you shouldn't be able to do this. 16 is probably too young. I think so. Um, if you, you know, if you have, if you're not all there, maybe you shouldn't be doing it, you know?
0: You have to consider schizophrenia or bipolar if it runs in your family.
1: Yeah, and I don't know how you legislate that or whatever, but, and if you okay. have kids, maybe you shouldn't be doing it around your kids, you know? Although yeah. I, I've I often guess. seen that go fairly well. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a fun time to be alive.
0: It is. I, I I mean, I think it might be a funner time in 100 years when, when when this is all behind us. But at least we're living in a time where we're seeing it start to change.
1: Yeah, right.
0: So, I mean, I'm in Florida, so nothing's changed here. We have medical cannabis, which is great, but it's only one step in the direction. And, and it's basically it's another elitist way to say, if you have enough money, we won't arrest you for this. But if you don't have the money to pay the doctor fees, because yeah. I've seen poor, poor kids from poor neighbors I've talked to that have um, that have been arrested and been charged with felonies. For having a vape cartridge with THC, because they've made made those a felony now, and um, if you don't have your medical card, it's just it's just so it's just ridiculous.
1: Can you are there mushrooms in cow pastures where you live?
0: There are. Um, I've never went looking because there's there, it's all private land, and I've read uh, many accounts of people getting arrested going on going shroom picking, and really? also yeah, in Naples and um, different areas down here it happens, but it's. I mean, I don't think it's a huge thing that happens, but it does happen. You get arrested for picking mushrooms. But um,
1: how do they catch you?
0: I guess the the whoever owns the land calls about it, and I honestly, it's a, yeah. it is strange to me that you would get caught. I guess I I because I would do it early in the morning before the sun comes up. But I have um, a friend that picked them, and I've done so. I've done the ones around here. They're not quite as potent as the um like they're a little weaker. Um, they're good though. Yeah. But uh, want, But I have a I have a friend that grows them so so I I just, you know, and I do that. So that's one thing I hate though, is the fact that I have something that is illegal. I'll just, for the record, I don't have any now. Let's just say that. But, Mm -hmm. um, point is, is if I want to do them, I can get them. And I, you know, I'm I'm very safe with them and, you know, we do them at home, but, Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's the reason I don't go pick. I actually did go, I went and bought Haken boots and was planning on trying to go to some areas and and look around and I just didn't find any. And it wasn't too long when I started to do that, I was going to keep going on different adventures and then, a friend called. Is like, hey, I just started doing this, and I was like, oh, cool. So I don't have to hike through the, all the woods of Florida.
1: Is that where people get them in Florida, or most people grow them? Most people grow them. Yeah, yep. that's.
0: Uh, Apparently, it's pretty easy. I, I I gave a half attempt of trying, and it didn't work. But
1: yeah, that is one thing that's happening in Denver is a bunch more growing classes, and people are teaching each other how to grow. There's more businesses they are selling substrates. Um, people are more open about selling spores. Um, so there is a bunch of home grows that have popped up.
0: Yeah. But that's really cool. I'd like to, I'd like to grow cannabis and if you you have your medical card here, you still can't grow it, which I I just don't understand that law, but so what's the law there in Colorado? How many plants can you have?
1: Oh, you know, they changed it not long ago. I want to say it's six.
0: So yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. Uh, and there, there was a time when it was really easy to go to a doctor and tell him that your knee hurt and that you hadn't, you couldn't smoke it. So you needed edibles. And then the doctor would give you permission to grow 50 or 99 plants. Really? Yeah. So you had all these healthy 25 year olds running around with knee pain so bad that they had to grow 99 cannabis plants.
0: that's 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 like an occupation i mean that's a full-time job right if you're growing that kind like you're a farmer at that point
1: yeah oh there were all these people that were renting houses in the suburbs with giant basements and setting up lights and just churning out pounds and pounds of weed and then sending it across state lines of course um but they had their little certificate that said oh i'm very sick and it's like i saw you at the gym last (laughs) night what are you
0: that, that was sick. thanks to the edibles. Without the edibles, I, no way I would have been on. Right. That. <laughs> this
1: is this is me on my 99 plan. Otherwise, I'd be bedridden.
0: Yeah, that's uh that was happening. I mean, basically the the medical card is is a joke. I mean, you just you go to there and you can tell them anything. And actually, the doctor is like shaking his head both ways for each question, like trying to get to the list as fast. Do you have this? Yes. This? No. And you're just like up up up, up down. He's like, all right, here's your card come back in seven months and give us more money and keep it going. You've been there. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, told them, tell them that your knee pain, your knee hurts. And the doctor's like feeling your elbow. Like, Oh yeah. that Elbow. That feels terrible. It's like, no doc, it's my knee. Ah, whatever. Close That's, enough.
0: And I, I mean, I've been to the pain to the medical doctor in Florida. Not, not what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: One time I went to clinic and I was like, Well, I was, as a reporter, I went to a clinic and I was talking to them about how it worked and they were like, do you want your card? And I was like, no, there's nothing wrong with me. And they said, well, why don't you talk to a doctor? See if the doctor thinks there's anything wrong with me. And it's like, I'm, it was just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we can find something wrong with you (laughs) if you want your card. Yep. Um. Yeah, that was early and we, you know, that was like 2004 or something like that right after when there was only medical.
0: Yeah, well, I remember when when they first passed the medical law here, it was there was a period that it was still really strict until they kind of ironed out the law. So I went, but I was like the first in line, i like, "All right, how do I get this card?" And I was like, "Uh, PTSD, childhood trauma." And they were like, Yeah, you have to have a psychiatrist actually diagnose that we're not just going to pat like they were very strict. I was like, Oh, I thought it was just say something and you get it like no, like this has to be so I went to a psychiatrist and talked about my childhood and the psychiatrist is like, Yeah, I don't think you have PTSD. But here's the thing. I'm just going to write that you do, because I think it's safer for you to get pot from this place because the pot on the streets is laced with cocaine, <laughs> which he was a foreign guy. So I was like, I think I, he didn't understand. I don't know. I was like, I have never smoked any cannabis laced with cocaine. That, that yeah. was like, without me, no, I mean, if somebody did it, they would tell you, right. Like this is, like, this is not yeah. something that happens ever, but he's like, it's more dangerous on the streets. I was like, all right, cool, whatever. So he wrote the thing, but then whatever. Like, it was like a month later, I went to the cannabis, uh, Back to the place and the laws had changed. And the doctor's like, "Why'd you go to a psychiatrist? You, you didn't need to do that. Like, I can just check this box." I was like, "Oh, like on the phone, they said all this crazy stuff."
1: I don't know. Thank you, pot doctor that knows nothing about pot.
0: <laughs> Actually, that guy, the, the 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 guy that I ended up talking to was really cool. I showed up and they were just opening up, and I walk in and um, the guy lets me in and I go in the back. He's wearing a cake shirt, the band, and he's drinking oh, a I beer, and he's like, and he's got all the scruff, and he's like. Oh, we're not even open. He told his buddy, like, we aren't supposed to let people in He say, like, We don't open till tomorrow, man. He's like, But I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll put you, I'll get you an appointment. The next day he's like, you know, had his scrubs on, clean shaven, was more professional, but he was just kicking <laughs> in the back. He's, he's a cool yeah. dude.
1: Yeah, there are doctors here that'll give you prescriptions with like Marley posters on the wall. Yeah. And it's like, are you really a medical doctor at this point? <laughs> exactly. Um, there was crazy stats back in the day about like 80% of all cannabis prescriptions in Colorado came from like 10 doctors or something like that, just churning them out. Um, And that's one of the interesting things about the mushroom thing is like, if we just do the compass thing or comes to a doctor and a therapist, you're going to have to have a prescription. You're going to have to say that you have depression. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to say that you have treatment resistant depression. So there's going to be a lot of people that are, playing up their depression in order to get a mushroom treatment. And it's just going to create this like weird uh, kind of lying situation or fudging situation yeah. that we had with cannabis in a long time with the Oregon model. Wh- you don't have to have a prescription. You don't have to have a malady. You don't have to be, have depression. You don't have to have PTSD. You can just want to like explore yourself. You can just want to sit in nature yeah. And okay. so that's another important thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about whether to go one way or the other, support one route
0: or the other. Yeah. Well, I think there's that expression, uh, the betterment of well people. Yeah. Like just because I'm I'm not messed up and not depressed all the time doesn't mean I can't do better and be happier than I am now. And I think that's most people, right? We, Everybody has some sort of trauma, even if it's not something that affects you daily, but just we, we have to deal with the death of our loved ones on some level. So, and that's a big thing for the psychedelic uh, or the psilocybin mushrooms that maps was doing was end of life anxiety for people that were terminal. But one of the mm-hmm. things I was reading that brought up is like, so, so this old man who has cancer goes and does the, the, has his mushroom experience and is no longer afraid of death. And actually is says he's blessed and he's happiest he's ever been, but his wife isn't, why can't she do do it with him? Cause she has to deal with the loss of him. And he has this a re- revelation that that's lifted the anxiety of death, but she hasn't. She's depressed. Her husband's going to die, mm-hmm. so it's not just the people who are terminal or the people that are depressed. I think we all could benefit from the from these substances.
1: It's a way of looking at yourself in terms of like I'm something that's broken that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. I I was a great person, a totally a uh, functional, wonderful person. Then I got depressed, and if I could just fix my depression then I'd be back to my wonderful self. And, and that's a way of looking at yourself that's like a little bit harsh almost. Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes depression is part of a healthy reaction to a world that is disconnected and just you know, sadness of living in modern consumerist society that separates us from each other. You get depressed because you live in a concrete jungle and you don't have a clan around and your family lives a long ways away and Um, and so depression can be a very useful source of information and this non pathologizing way of dealing with it is an interesting shift in like how we see each other, how we see ourselves. It's not like I'm normal most of the time. And then occasionally I get depressed and I come back. It's like, I'm up and down. I'm this and that I'm, I'm happy and sad. Mm -hmm. Um. I was, I'm writing a story today uh, about um, indigenous practitioners of ayahuasca down in the Amazon and Mm -hmm. this interview with this uh, shaman down there. And he's talking about how it's just such a different framework. It's not like people come in, we're depressed and then we relieve their depression. It's a more, it's, it's looking at people on a spiritual level, on an energetic level, saying that you've gone out of balance with yourself you've gone out of balance with nature and we're going to try to get you back in balance um not that you're bad or wrong or there's something broken about you that we're going to fix like car mechanics go into a car and like adjust the carburetor to make it better it's more like you would look at a plant if the plant's not growing very well you would say okay it's not in sunlight it's not getting enough water it's not getting enough air you you change how you deal with a plant like that the plant is not in balance with its environment how like often that. do you go to a psychiatrist say i'm sad and they say we'll get some more sunlight more air more water better food better exercise generally they give you a pill yeah try to like tinker with you like you're a broken down old volkswagen which that i is think is true. not fundamentally what we are
0: exactly and, i i went to someone's house who's suffered from different things and had a whole bunch of pill bottles on the counter all these different like adderall xanax and you know wellbutrin or whatever all just all these things and it's like the doctor keeps getting instead of taking one away and trying another they're just like putting this in put this in and eventually we're going to get your balance it's like no i think all this is completely messed up and backwards i mean like you said it's and but that's our culture right? our culture isn't about it's about because what, what what can we sell you? Not what can you do to make yourself better? Because if what you do to make yourself better doesn't give us money, then we don't want to push that on you. But it is exercise and diet are going to be your main two things and sunlight. I, I believe I'm a firm believer in that. In Florida, I live in Florida and I think it makes a big difference being able to go outside year round and be in the sunshine.
1: Yeah. I mean, I live in Denver. We have 300 days of sunshine We're at the mountains right over there. And I mean, maybe it's an overgeneralization, but I feel like people are happier than when I lived in New York and Washington, DC where it's just concrete and people are stuck in these like tiny apartments and they don't see trees. I mean, this indigenous shaman that I'm writing about today and I was like, um the the healing comes from trying to reconnect with nature. And that's where we're that's where the healing is, like um the healing is wishing to hear from the plants, he says. It's this relationship between you and the plants. Mm-hmm. That's That's their whole like gig down there is they're trying to listen to not just the ayahuasca, but the tobacco and and all these other plants. And that's such a different way of thinking about it than the way we think about it. It's almost like we're treating the mushrooms and the ayahuasca up here as a commodity to be used as another extension of our capitalist system, where we look at the ayahuasca and the mushrooms and we're like, what can we get from it? How can you help us? And with them, it's like a lot more reciprocal where they listen to the mushrooms in the ayahuasca and it's like how can we work together mm-hmm. um how can we get into balance how can how can we plant more plants how can we live with nature in a more balanced way i just don't think it's going to work necessarily for people to continue to live in concrete holes disconnected from each other occasionally take a mushroom without having that connection to nature yeah i don't it's super interesting, this this story about this uh, Shapibo shaman. And when I first started taking psychedelics with, a, I, I used the um, ayahuasca with one of the churches that's legal here in America mm-hmm. for uh, f- uh, quite a while. And they had um, lost a lot of their connection to the Shapibo and Amazonian lineage. And I thought that was okay. But nowadays I think like, it's it's important to listen to these folks who have done this for a long time, and not to mimic them or do it exactly the same thing, or like act like they don't have problems or like they're perfect, or like we don't have smart like we have smart things too. Like we understand some things about these drugs on a on a, like a molecular level, and you know. Um, but like, what do they tell us about listening to the plants? What do they tell us about balance? What do they tell us about? paying attention to each other like healing is always in a relational thing for them um like you heal in relation to your tribe and your 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 family and in, in america it's like i'm on my own healing journey i'm going to make myself better yeah and everybody else can do whatever they're doing
0: yeah and, um, and I, you know our species we evolved to be a part of nature with the hunter and gatherer tribes they moved where the flocks went they moved where the seasons went they they were a, a direct part of nature the way animals are and now we've completely separated ourselves from our natural environments and so i yeah. do think that that's the uh and yeah i i'd honestly have you been, have you done any that actually went down to the amazon for any of those
1: um so i've been to akitos i've been to the amazon um i ha- did not do anything down there i did not use ayahuasca down there
0: um
1: but i so no
0: but, but i'm here there, are you against uh the tourism <laughs> aspect of that down there
1: no, so this was um, a long time ago. I was dating a Shipibo woman at the time. And um, just coincidentally, it wasn't. Um, and she took me down to meet her family down in the Quito's. And we toured the Quito's for a while. We went down the Amazon River for quite a while. And this was 2007 or so, 2008. This was before the ayahuasca boom was really going. And she even though she was shapibo she had lost the connection to it mm-hmm. because they for a long time saw it as like a backwards thing that was done by the people who were not educated city and that's what they were all trying to be for a while may still trying to be and so even though her mom had done ayahuasca it had not made it down to my then girlfriend's generation mm-hmm. so i was I I asked her back then, like, do you know a place? Can we try this?
0: This wasn't um, on the table, really. Wasn't on the
1: table. She didn't know it. And then I haven't been back since. I've done it in a Shipibo way up here a few times.
0: Yes. I haven't. I've, I've never done ayahuasca. I've, I've smoked DMT. Have you? Have you done that? Mm-hmm. Is it, what does it compare? Or is the DM, like? What's the? Is there? What's? The, I know the DMT smokes a lot shorter, but as far as the experience,
1: yeah, it's a lot. It's a, uh, DMT is a lot more visual, like way, way, way more visual. Um, yeah, way less body. Mm-hmm. I mean, the so you have smoked DMT. It's it's just like yeah, so ayahuasca is just more longer. It's softer. It's like
0: was it more similar to mushrooms? Yeah, kind of. That's that's what I've heard. I, last time I smoked DMT was probably about two months ago in my backyard and. And I, I went into, you know, the, the world of color where you're not in this dimension. And um, I've never seen the elves or anything like that. But I, but I have seen, felt the entities. But when I came back out, it was the coolest thing ever. There was some kind of entity flying around my backyard. I couldn't actually see it but because it, it was always ahead of my vision. But it was laughing. And it was lighting up plants as it went. And every time it did, the plant would light up and come at me. But like in a dancy way. It was just showing me my backyard. It was like, you got to check out your backyard. And it was laughing. I was laughing. It was so cool.
1: Yeah, that's super cool. And yeah are those not the weirdest thing in the whole world
0: mm-hmm. it's, it's great though it was just it's amazing and then pe- you know but that's why it's not addicting I wasn't like that was so cool let me do it again tomorrow I was like I'm good for a while like that was so powerful and fun that I'm like all right had that
1: yeah I always have to work up the courage to do more ayahuasca because it is something else I mean you're just in it for so long and it's so intense sometimes and so you have those entities that are with you but they hang out for longer. You can sort of talk to them more and they're a little less oh, frenetic great. and jumpy around. Um, so you can have more dialogues with them and uh, hear more of what they have to say to you, um, which is, a, which is, uh, you know,
0: I'm going to have to do that. Definitely. I mean, it's on my list of things to do for sure. I was um, talking with a friend of mine about doing a trip to Peru. Um, do you think that the tourism thing down there is, is hurting things that, you know, cause remember, was it Maria Sabina? Like, she got devastated. I mean, she died poor, penniless, because of her town basically shunned her because she brought Western society into that village. Is it anything like that happening in Peru, where they, there's like an anti-tourism movement on that?
1: Yeah, um, I don't have a lot of um, expertise on this, but I am writing today about this um, shaman down there. Who uh, this is for Shakruna and it's an interview that um Chakruna did and I'm just sort of recapping it um but he this shaman is like um there's good and bad here like if because he now has a profession he now works at one of these um retreat centers healing westerners and now that so he has a job and he wouldn't have had a job before and he's not like mad at the westerners he's not like you guys are weird, or or you're stealing our culture. He seems very open to like sharing his wisdom with with us, mm-hmm. and sharing his perspective, and doing what he can to try to heal, which is all this energetic, um, spiritual, um, nature based work. And so, I you know I've heard that like it's crazy down there, and Iquitos now is pretty um, choked with tourists trying to get ayahuasca, and it's a lot more like grubby where people like come at you a lot and they're like trying to sell you stuff, which when I went there like 15, 14, 15 years ago, it was not like that. It was this idyllic, um, jungle place, no cars, like cars can't get there. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, so I've heard that, that it's good and bad. I think, I yeah, mean, it's yeah. just, there's so many forgotten tribes. Like how many tribes do I know about in the, in, in the world? And yet the Shapibos are now like kind of famous in my world, where like everybody's doing Shapibo ceremonies, and uh, I, I think my then girlfriend would probably mad, be mad, and think it's cultural appropriation. Um, and I can see that because like everybody claims to be trained by the Shapibos nowadays, like yeah. up here in Colorado, in these ayahuasca ceremonies. Yeah. I, I think it's. I think it's just. You, from my perspective, if it can be a two way street, then I think it's okay.
0: Gotcha. Um, yeah, and I know there's a difference with like the peyote because, uh, like Michael Michael Pollan's new book, he he went in, out to the peyote ceremonies, but he didn't do it himself because he's like I'm a Westerner. But peyote yeah. is there's a limited source of natural occurring peyote. It's it's an endangered species, and so we shouldn't if you know. So I could see that, but with uh, ayahuasca, there's that's not an issue, right? Like there's there's plenty of it.
1: Um, you mean I think it's up to like each tribe or whatever i was just i was talking to an indigenous um peyote person not long ago and they said look we just don't want white people to do this like this is our thing go find your own thing like if you guys start doing this somehow it's just going to lose the magic and yeah. we need this magic
0: so our thing should be lsd right that's a western culture thing and and i just it's my favorite honestly yeah uh, but it has a because of the name acid it has a bad rap and all this negative propaganda against it that it's like the most taboo of all of them
1: i agree and then so that was that one indigenous person's perspective then i talked to a comanche a couple months ago who said like you know don't do peyote and don't steal our ceremonies but if you want to do mescaline and you want to like take some of our big lessons from it then that's okay
0: like if you want and that's what michael poland did actually he did mescaline but not peyote
1: yeah 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 like don't try to be us but, but do learn, like, hey, do it in a group and have God on your mind and, like, do it for healing and pay attention to nature and um, stuff like that. So um, one of the, uh, the other things I wrote about recently was, like, indigenous reciprocity. I just read
0: on your Twitter about that. Yeah.
1: Some of these companies now are, like, these psychedelic companies are dedicating part of their um, equity. Like, so a tenth of their company is now dedicated to, like, giving back to indigenous folks. And that's really hopeful. I mean, cannabis didn't do that. Well, in certain places, cannabis
0: did it for uh, the the African American communities that were because they've been hit the hardest with the war on drugs. And I think that's- yeah, given the that's the totally positive. Yeah,
1: right. And there's some companies that are doing that, and that's wonderful. And I don't know how big this indigenous reciprocity is going to be in psychedelics, but I think that it's going to be an aspiration, sort of like in the old days like if you made your food organic it was like a real edge Mm -hmm. and then later on it kind of like you had to do organic if you wanted to be at a certain level as like a restaurant so i think like a psychedelic company that will engage in indigenous restaurant and send money back to the tribes will be a sort of a different level and like get more cred and hopefully more business Mm -hmm. and also legitimately like do a better ceremony like if you're learning from the indigenous hopefully you're gonna have a better experience so partnership i think is like the watchword like don't just take our traditions is what these indigenous folks are saying like partner with us learn from us like see what we want listen to us don't just be about money don't just be about yourselves don't just try to like take everything you can to make yourself feel better like think about the whole ecosystem think about balance think about nature. I mean, I keep coming, I always come back to nature, man. I, I really think connection to nature is like my thing and, and it's a big part of this indigenous thing.
0: It is. Have you heard, have you read uh, Johann Johan Hari's book? I, I feel yes. like it was the lost connections one, but he talked about the accidental experiment that played out at a prison where half the windows in the prison faced farmland and the other half faced like a wall. And the yeah. levels of sickness, not just mental, but physical sickness were drastically higher on the, the wall that faced the, or the window that faced the cement wall. And that just right there, you see that just seeing nature, even if you're locked in a cage is better than not, you know?
1: Yeah. And there's like something on hospitals. If you put people in a, a, a heel, in their their sick beds faces nature, they get better faster.
0: Yeah, makes sense
1: students before they take tests if they study for 10 minutes versus spend 10 minutes in nature the people who spend 10 minutes in nature actually do better than the test wow. than people who spend 10 minutes studying somewhere
0: that's um, amazing yeah so i think it's very important i i love i spend a lot of time in nature I do a lot of kayaking. and that's like i say i don't like fort myers sometimes but as far as the nature here i do i it, it gets really it's really flat here that gets tiring sometimes you just want a hill or a mountain or something but I do. I do love spending time in nature. And yeah, I've even heard, heard stories of people that were diagnosed with cancer. This one guy, and he started when he got the diagnosis, woke up every morning and went on a, a hike and watched the sunrise from this mountainside and ended up getting better. Like,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I had a lot of depression earlier in my life and the SSRIs didn't really work and nothing that they gave me work, but I moved to a ski town and I went skiing every morning in the ski season. And I went hiking every afternoon in the summer. And that was the best antidepressant that I could ever have had. It mm-hmm. um, yeah. just changes you. It just puts centers you. It, I just loved it. So I think if we do mushroom retreat centers in the future, I think that um, nature is where it's at.
0: Yeah, let's yeah. definitely include the, the hikes and all that stuff like we talked about. That'd be great.
1: Yeah, that's so that's that's the hopeful. That's the hope. Yeah, get out in nature, connect with nature.
0: Well, that's a, probably a good place to end this, right? So yeah, then yeah. Thanks. For, thank you for doing this. Really, this was awesome. Great talk. And um, like I say, I'll be in Colorado in June, so I'll reach out to you before then. And do move. I
1: need to buy tickets to that thing? Yeah. All right, yeah, Iron yeah. and wine, Red Rocks. Yep. Okay. Sweet. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's the third, wait, it's the third year that they've, it was 2020 got postponed to 2021, got postponed to 2022. I imagine this one will actually happen, Okay. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah. And then i will we'll, bring my, uh, my travel mic and stuff and we can maybe sit and do a podcast in person.
1: Yeah. That'd be super fun, man. Thank you so All much for awesome. doing this. Thanks so much for doing what you do. Thanks so much for stepping out. Even if your friends are like telling you that you're like, Putting the wrong message out. Thanks oh, that, for, like, that, what, and...
0: that, yeah, that wasn't my friends. That was just random people online that get, anyway. Okay, um, yeah. And thank you for doing what you do too, man. I, I, I love what you're doing. And thank. You. yeah, I can't wait to talk to you again.
1: Thanks, man. Take care. Go enjoy some nature and I'll talk to you soon. All
0: right. Talk to you later. All right, bye. Bye. All right. Follow Riley on Twitter at Riley Caps. That's R-E-I-L-L-Y-C-A-P-P-S. Read his articles. Follow me at the Peace on Drugs. As always, thanks for listening, and peace out.